Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly on News Radio 1120, KMOX. Well, hello there, John Hancock. Hello, what's going on? And I'm man. It's uh, been so long since we've been together. Uh, I was out late last night. Late, a late night. Yeah. So out on your, the town, were you? No, I wasn't. So I was watching television. Really cool program. This uh, we were talking about it earlier. It's called uh, the men, who, the built men who built America. Yeah, that's a great series. And I was History in the channel. Yeah, I was in the midst of um, uh, an episode, and I got a call, a text, uh, etc. From uh, a friend, associate, whatever uh, that uh, had an accident on Highway. 40, not far from my house, Highway 6064. Everybody okay? Yes, everybody okay. was okay, but uh, they, they wanted me to drive over there to pick them up. I got there. Their car, her car was completely accordion smashed. It's Ooh. about five cars involved in this accident. Wow. Nobody was hurt, uh, right. and uh, which is incredible, to be honest with you. But uh, then spent a couple hours waiting for you know the police to show up, and the firemen were there by the hours. time. Yeah, it took a little while of time. A couple was a of lot. hours. Well, there was a lot there going on in the city last night. a five-car accident. It took a couple of hours for the police Well, for to the show police. Up. But, I mean, hey, look, the police have got a lot going on. And as we know, there's not many you of them, John. five cars on the highway out there. It took them two hours. Well, it's okay. but uh, It's not okay. That's well, not okay. And somebody. But I, I, this the purpose of this is not to rip on the police no, because right. the police were really awesome. They, well, they were. Sure, and And the firemen who were there last night were awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, in particular, the firemen, because they were there from... Uh, the very start and well, the good. EMS guys. So they got there right away. Yeah, and and then the Modoc guys, you know, the Modoc trucks with the big arrow pointing yeah, you this right. way. Yeah. They showed up. Those guys are beauties, man. Those those trucks they have, they're like tanks, and oh, yeah. so they just like put their bumper on and push these cars against the wall yeah. and moved them. But it got me to thinking, and uh, I, I for those couple hours sitting on the highway there with That's these ridiculous. police and firemen and uh, ambulance workers mm-hmm. uh, protecting us. The cars, and I get that it's frustrating waiting in traffic, but people whipping by 70, 80 miles an hour yeah. when you've got fire truck lights. Light and flashing. And yeah, and, and the men and women who, you know, put their lives at risk, and I'm thinking about those firemen, those MODOC guys, those police officers, on a nightly basis like that, man, those are special human beings. What and caused the accident? Any idea? Uh, slickness. It was in the rain and slickness. Oh. It was right there almost at the elevated uh, double-decker section of the highway. Right around Grand. Yeah, right, right around Grand. Uh-huh. But uh, the purpose of this was my own little uh, public service announcement yeah. to slow down, man. Those oh. are real human beings standing on the side of the road. Yeah, you have places to be. You're in a hurry, but slow down. Down. Somebody, I think, uh, would benefit from a little defensive driving training <laughs> from <laughs> yours we, truly, John Hancock. Here. Yeah, I could, uh, you know, there's some things you got to do, Michael. You're supposed to maintain a certain distance uh, behind the car right, in front of you. Right, right. Uh, I like to judge it one car length for every ten miles an hour. Is that right? Uh, that's how I like to. Uh huh. And uh, and then and then you know if there's a, br- a rapid braking situation then and here's the other thing on the brakes I mean yeah. if you get now if you got one of these new cars or whatever you know the brakes they they know what they're doing but uh, if you if you can if you can ease into it on the brake instead of the jam on the brake uh, I found that to be a more effective at avoiding I've avoided multiple. Catastrophes on the roads uh, throughout my my time, John. You're an incredible man because uh, you just will never uh, surrender the ability to share what knowledge you have. And yeah. uh, thinking about you, uh, 
giving advice on driving is asking is like asking um, uh, you know Frank Sinatra to talk about how you quit drinking uh, because uh, your driving, my friend, is uh, is less than stellar. Well, but that's why you got to drive defensively. If perhaps yeah. your eyesight may not be what it once was, or perhaps your oh reflexes aren't what they. Yeah, might have been years ago. Then you've got to employ an additional safety mechanisms as you're driving, not just to protect yourself. No, no, uh, it's to protect your fellow humans out there, Michael. And it's yeah. very important that you uh, that you do so. Mike Miller hosts the Garden Hotline Saturday mornings at eight on the Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Okay, people, slow down out there. It's uh, foggy. It's slick. The weather's cold. Keep yourself safe on those highways. Not it's, that cold today. Yeah, it's Hancock and Kelly. It looks like we've gotten through the Arctic blast for a while. Uh, but a blast of nonsense coming from Washington, D.C., John, as uh, yesterday we started to learn that Mitch McConnell was making some rumblings early in the morning that, uh, hey, we want to slow down on this border security bill Etc. A bill that was being negotiated in a bipartisan manner uh, had many traditional Republicans, and for that matter, a, a far right. I don't know if you call them MAGA types uh, that were helping negotiate. They had come to a deal. We later learned, as a result of Mitch McConnell putting the brakes on this, it was happening as a result of the former president of the United States, Donald Trump calling allies inside the United States Senate and the Congress saying we shouldn't pass this, we shouldn't give Biden something to run on, leave it there, let me fix it. Two issues here, John. Number one, my entire life I've listened to Republicans complain about how the border is open, it needs to be fixed, we can't wait any longer. Uh, in fact, our own governor is saying that he wants to send the National Guard to the border uh, because this is such a crisis. We have a solution, one that Republicans agreed to. And they're not voting for it because this madman told them not to. That's number one. Number two, I've been telling you this for a while, John. You guys have talked about the border. The reality is is you really don't want to accomplish anything. You just want to run on this. Well, I don't think that's necessarily true. I, I think they do want to accomplish something. And I think this bill was a, a positive step. Now, it wasn't going to solve every problem down there. But um, it was a positive step. But look, it's difficult to pass legislation in election years. And uh, in both parties have gone through these things. Usually, though, when they do things like this, they don't do it that publicly. And, uh, you know, I think that the politics of it don't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, you had a bipartisan deal. It's the best border deal we were ever going to get under a Democratic president. And I don't know that we'll ever have this opportunity and again. And and the other thing that's lost in this, Michael, is that the Ukraine funding was tied to this. And we're playing with – I think we're playing with more fire potentially in Ukraine than we are even at the border. And so that – it disturbs me. They've got to figure out uh, how, well, how to get support to the Ukrainians defending themselves against the invading Russians. But, John, it's the Republicans who are stopping um, all of these, both of these programs. They're doing it at the behest of Donald Trump. Two questions. Number one, even if this were to pass, do people think suddenly the border is going to suddenly become a discriminator in favor of Joe Biden? Right. I mean, no, no. We've been beaten up on the Democrats forever on the border. And the fact that we actually Rightfully make some so. progress on it is not going to suddenly say to all these you know, folks who've 
uh, had border on their mind suddenly, oh, goodness gracious, Joe Biden's our savior. We're dropping this. Number two, both of these bills are being killed by Donald Trump. And if that's not a continuing re- reminder to traditional Republicans, small though they may be, are important for a Republican coalition to elect the president of the United States, they're going to find themselves in an even more desperate spot, not accomplishing on the policies that they say that they care about, at the same time uh, continuing to elevate somebody who's ultimately costing you guys elections. Well, and that's the thing that uh, you can't lose sight of if you want to win elections. And winning elections is about expanding your appeal. And uh, look, Donald Trump has a rock-solid base of support that would vote for him no matter what. It's impressive. It's a movement. No no two ways about it. It is a movement. Is that movement sufficient in and of itself to get him elected president of the United States? I don't think so. And and so you've got you've to expand that universe, which is why— you know, him going after Nikki Haley, who doesn't have a chance realistically to win the nomination, he ought to leave her alone and focus everything on Biden and try and expand out his base of support that, that he currently has. That doesn't appear to be happening to me. Now, maybe it'll happen as the campaign moves on, uh, but I don't know. The, there is There is unanimity within the GOP that the border needs to be fixed. And the politics of this, I, I'll grant you, don't look good. But I do think Republicans want to solve the border problem. Where there is Maybe. A, where there is a divide is <laughs> over Ukraine funding and our involvement internationally. There okay. is a real divide. But they there. have split those, John. They, they had split those for this purpose because a lot of Republicans don't want to do the Ukraine thing because right. guess what? Donald Trump's in love with Vladimir Putin. But here we are uh, in a situation where they're delaying the border action. I, I just don't ultimately understand what the end game is here. And I remind everyone that Donald Trump once had control of the House, the Senate, and the White House, couldn't build his wall, and did no border fixing. We've actually got a negotiated bill, something that will never happen in a Trump administration, and they're walking away from it. This is all talk. This is not about action. And most importantly, it's about Donald Trump. Speaking of that, Don, John, Nikki Haley, she continues her quest. Donald Trump also made the pronouncement the other day, anyone who is donating to Nikki Haley, and by the way, she has a lot of traditional Republican donors out there, that they are excommunicated, disbarred, no longer a part of MAGA, and will have no input going forward. How, when you are already losing elections, are you going to grow an opportunity to win elections uh, by alienating those people who are most likely to vote for you well, if you're that, the nominee. I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the conundrum. You can't you can you can choose to be an exclusive club of purists and stand on principle, I suppose, and be a structural minority. The Republican Party is already the minority party in this country, and when you then reduce that number by excluding folks that are with you on 70%, 80% of the issues, uh, you're, you're making it harder and harder and harder to win. Now, the only good news for Donald Trump in all this is that if he ends up running against Joe Biden, you know, it, that will be a competitive election. But you're not going to win excluding folks that ought to be in your coalition to get to 50% plus one of the vote. We're going to... Uh... 
We're going to pause our regular conversation about politics, and we're going to go to the Quiver River Electric Guest Line, where we're joined by George Roman. George Roman is a former vice president of Boeing here in St. Louis, did world government affairs worldwide for Boeing. And, John, you and I both lost a a good friend of ours, uh, a gentleman named Tom Gunn. Tom Gunn was a government affairs man for the old McDonnell Douglas when McDonnell Douglas was emerging throughout the 70s and 80s. Um, I will tell you that he, there are millions of, uh, not millions, thousands, hundreds of thousands of families in the St. Louis area who are living a quality life and are working as a result of the efforts that Tom Gunn did. It's a name that's not necessarily a household name, but most households are likely working as a result of him. George, I know that uh, Tom Gunn was a good friend of yours, uh, and what he did for St. Louis, Missouri, and the United States is uh, maybe unmatched by any uh, most folks. Uh, that's absolutely true, and good morning, Michael. Good morning, John. Uh, you know, Tom was probably one of the most influential and purposeful members of our community for well over five decades. Uh, he was a great friend, but moreover, he led McDonnell Douglas sales and marketing to become one of the most successful in history of aerospace and defense. Uh, Tom was a statistician, and I will tell you this, that products that we are building today in St. Louis are built upon the foundation of the strategies that Tom implemented in the 80s and 90s. Um, F-15s, F-18s, C-17s, over 550,000 JDAM kits. 17,000 small diameter bombs, 7,000 harpoons, uh, 279 C-17s. And I will tell you the other thing about Tom, he traveled the world, and he also worked in D.C. Uh, Tom was a lawyer by training. He worked as a lawyer. Uh, Then he went to work for uh, Senator McClellan. He managed the uh, national security budget on appropriations. Um, he tra- when I said he traveled the world, he really traveled the world. And he met with world leaders, uh, presidents, prime ministers, and monarchs, and they all had tremendous respect for him. Because what Tom brought to the table was not a sales pitch. What Tom brought to the table was a solution, a solution to their national security concerns. And he worked with them and walked through the process uh, as an individual and as a friend. And I will tell you, he will be missed not only in St. Louis, where he and his lovely wife, Katie, raised tremendous, wonderful children, but they were also so involved in the community. And just to give you an idea, uh, they were involved with Fontbonne University, Gateway to Hope, which is a woman's uh, breast cancer foundation, SLU Law School, SLU Business School, um, SSM Health. Tom was Tom ran a study for Mercy uh, Health System to create their first foundation and served as their first president and a board member. Uh, you know, the gun name in St. Louis is uh, synonymous with being part of this region, and and Tom demanded that of himself and everybody else. You know, when we worked for Tom, he told us that it all began and ended with the sale, and he said that because. If we didn't sell the products that we made here in St. Louis, the men and women of McDonnell Douglas couldn't pay their mortgages, couldn't put their kids through school, and couldn't retire. And he held that as one of the most important tenants of our organization. Uh, he, was, he was very supportive of our, our uh, organized labor, and particularly the machinists 
who he had the utmost respect for because they built, and in our opinion, the best fighter aircraft ever manufactured in the United States. Tom, uh, Tom's passing will leave an insurmountable hole uh, for those who knew and loved him and worked with him, but also across the country and across the world. As far as I'm concerned, he was a great man and a great friend, and he will forever be missed. Ain't that the truth, uh, George? I don't think I could have summed it up as well as you just did there. And I just think it's an important name for people in St. Louis to know because there are billions of dollars of wages that have been paid to people as engineers, rocket scientists, machinists, janitors, painters, construction folk here in St. Louis that are working today. There are over 13,000 people out at Boeing, and it continues to grow, John J. Hancock. Uh, at what point were the were the uh, sales to, to foreign governments? Is that something that, uh, that Tom helped to spearhead at, at the old McDonnell Douglas? Absolutely. Tom was the architect of those. And, um, you know, I, I had the opportunity to travel with him uh, for better part of 30 years. And also with Mr. McDonald, who was uh, intimately involved with our international sales as well. Um, and to watch Tom work with these senior leaders of these countries and how he could communicate with them. You know, Tom, Tom was a student of culture. And, you know, we never went to a country without spending the time to study it, to study their, their, their cultural habits, their language, uh, things that were important to them. And when we went over, we didn't make mistakes, uh, cultural mistakes. We were very attuned to what was, was part of their heritage in these countries. And I think that made a big deal uh, of us being able to sell these aircraft. And I will also tell you that Tom was tremendously respected in Washington, D.C., uh, at, at all levels of the White House, Congress, and the various agencies. Well, we've lost and, a great man, uh, a great business leader, Tom Gunn, remembering him with George Roman, the former Boeing vice president here. George, thanks so much uh, for your insight today. We need to step aside for the news. When we come back, there's going to be a new hospital opening up on the north side. We'll talk about that after the news on KMOX. Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly on News Radio 1120, KMOX. Happy Friday, St. Louis. I'm Michael Kelly. Who are you? John Hancock. That's John Hancock. We're going to be with you all day, all, all the way up till 11 o'clock. Of course, Amy and Chris will come in and join us. Don't forget on Sunday mornings, you can see Hancock and Kelly, the television show. But, John, man, I'll tell you what, we're going to have as a guest here one of the names that uh, kind of a household name of St. Louis. Uh, some people like him. Some people love him. But he's always relevant. He's none other than the great developer Paul McKee, kind enough to join us here on the guest line. Mr. McKee, thanks for joining us, sir. You're welcome. Good morning, Michael and John. Good to talk to you. So you've launched the Homer G. Phillips Hospital there on the near north side close to um, – uh, the new NGA. Uh, it's a three-bedroom hospital that's getting ready to launch. Uh, this is the first hospital, to my knowledge, that's been built in St. Louis, what, in decades, correct? Correct, uh, Mike, and we're very proud uh, to work over 10 years to get it to this point, and we opened it up uh, a week ago Tuesday to the public. It's called the Homer G. Phillips Memorial Hospital. Uh, it is a three-bed hospital with a full emergency room that includes 15 ER beds uh, and two triage beds, along with full imaging from x-ray, CAT scan, and MRI. So 
We're really proud of it. And uh, yes, it's on the old Protago site, which is directly to the south of the new NGA uh, building. And there's not been um, health care uh, like this provided in North St. Louis for quite some time. And now three beds is a small beginning, but it's just a beginning as I understand it. That's correct, uh, John. It's, it's The whole origin of the hospital is to be part of an academic health care center. Uh, we work very closely with Ponce Health Sciences University Med School and is temporarily located at Jefferson and Market. And Dr. Lenahan uh, has been working for years and he now has got a second class of MD students there. And uh, so the idea here is to have a hospital associated with a med school. And the way our CON laws, Certificate of Need laws work in Missouri, this is the way you have to start. So we are really the first hospital from scratch that's not affiliated with one of the major uh, healthcare companies in the state. Paul, I know that the uh, police and fire response in particular are excited to have yet another option where uh, they can take people particularly on the north side, if uh, there's some type of a crisis like a heart attack, a stroke, or, or anything else. You're absolutely correct. And the fire chief, Jefferson, has, has been incredibly helpful, uh, particularly with the data they provided us, which had everything to do with changing the design of the facility. That's why we have 17 ER beds, which is a very, very large emergency room. Uh, we have a critical space in there, plus we have behavioral space uh, because of what we saw a lot of the ambulance runs. So this is something that has been needed for years and years and years. It's just took a long time to get up and running. And uh, now we're accepting patients and we really appreciate the neighborhood's response. It's been very good so far. Paul McKee joins us. He's a developer. They have opened, they have opened the Homer G. Phillips Memorial Hospital near the NGA site in North St. Louis. A bit of controversy, Paul. Uh, in the naming of Always. the facility, yeah, Homer G. Phillips, some local residents have expressed uh, a desire not to use that name. What What's going on as it relates to the use, and, and why was Homer G. Phillips' name chosen in the first place? Well, most people in St. Louis had forgotten about Homer G. Um, Homer G. Phillips uh, Hospital was one of three places in the United States where a person of color could train to be a, a doctor. Here, Meharry, and Howard in D.C. So a third of the docs in our country that are my age or older trained here. And when we decided that we were going to have an academic health care center here and with Ponce. And DHSU also has a large majority or large percentage of uh, economically distressed families that come through his med school. So what we thought is we are going to embrace the history of the old Homer G, which was a very, very good hospital here and was closed 25 years after it was opened. Paul, no good deed goes unpunished, does it? <clears throat> it never does. The controversy seems to follow us, but we want to make sure the community knows how significant the heritage here is well, to my kids. Yeah, and in the midst of uh, so much uh, that, that, that's gone wrong and, and, and continues to kind of spiral in St. Louis, this is progress in the right direction, and you help bring it. Uh, he is Paul McKee. Thanks you kindly enough to joining us today on KMOX. We look forward to talking to you again in the future. 
And John, having uh, you know, living here in the city of St. Louis, uh, the city of St. Louis allowed a hospital in South St. Louis to close earlier la- uh, at the end of last year. Right. Of course, we've got the SLU and the BJC complex. It's just amazing that uh, you, you know when somebody brings us a pot of gold here in St. Louis, we'll find some way to kick it over, won't we? Yeah, and and um, you know, I I don't see anything wrong with honoring yeah. the Homer G. Phillips name. It, it I mean, it, it historically a significant. I think Paul outlined it nicely. Um, you know, it's a. I would view it as an honor that the facility would carry the Homer G. Phillips name, but obviously there are people in the community that uh, are upset about that, and that'll get resolved regardless yeah. of what the name ends up being. You've now got uh, an emergency facility right there in North St. Louis, and, you know, there's and there's need for emergency rooms here in this town, and, uh, you know, I'm glad to see it. Yeah, and, you know, we, I wanted to have Paul on, and Paul is one of those names. He's a household name in St. Louis. Boy, he's, you know, he's built uh, Wing Haven out in St. Charles. He's been doing the north side redevelopment stuff. He's been uh, in North Park in St. Louis. Uh, you know, and and people who make omelets, you got to crack a couple eggs, and it sometimes upsets people. Uh, but kudos to Mr. Um, to uh, Mr. McKee to continue to move forward. I don't know how anybody could be upset that there's a hospital now in North St. Louis. We're going to step aside because, John, when we come back, yeah. we're going to have Ripley's Believe It or Not in studio with us, huh? I don't believe it. I don't believe what I just saw. They're coming in here because they're going to be at the City Museum, and we'll find out exactly what's going on. That's next right here on KMOX. Now, back to Hancock and Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference. On News Radio 1120, KMOX. You remember when the teachers, when you were kids, uh, would make you go to the library for, you know, a half hour for quiet study time? Oh, yeah. What I always did is went and got the Guinness Book of World Records book. Well, they got a lot of stuff in there. Yeah. They got Ing and Chang, the uh, Siamese twins, are in there. I remember yeah. that from my youth. And the tallest guy who was Robert from Alton. Yeah, from Alton, Missouri. Uh, yeah. Hey, buddy. Alton, Illinois. I got something. I don't know if you'll believe it or not. Right. We got somebody in studio from Ripley's Believe It or Not. John he is John Corker is here. He's with Ripley's Entertainment. Joins us in studio along with Rick Irwin, the creative director of City Museum. They have formed a partnership. They've got a massive, massive exhibit uh, there, and it's called the Science of Guinness World Records, and it opens up this Sunday uh, out at City Museum. Gentlemen, welcome aboard. Thank you very much. Thanks uh, for having us. So this is going to be a cool, this thing takes up a lot of space. Tell people what the experience is going to be. Well, I'd, I'd like to go back to the uh, library book because uh, the Guinness World Records book is the most stolen book from U.S. libraries. <laughs> so we're still trying to track those down. So I'm just wondering if there's any in the studio. Yeah, I've it's out in my parents' basement. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, so City Museum doesn't normally host traveling exhibits, but they have a space where they do special events, those kind of things. So for the first time ever, they're hosting a, an exhibit, and it's the science of Guinness World Records. So it's kind of all these amazing Guinness World Records, and when the kids aren't looking, we slip in a little science about how record breakers use these uh, techniques to break uh, Guinness World Record titles. Wow. So as I understand it, you're going to have a lot of different, I guess, booths set up, and people could go from booth to booth and learn about world records and setting them and how to go about setting them. Uh, and it's a hands-on learning experience. Very hands-on. So they, they can actually attempt Guinness World Records. Uh, it's only official when there's an adjudicator on site, but there's a there's a couple dozen different attempts kind of thing. Kind of something for the whole family. There's literally something for toddlers. There's something for grandmom. Of course, lots of stuff in between. Uh, you know, we have crazy things like fastest time to fill a one-gallon bucket 
with virtual water balloons. <laughs> Took me a minute, 30. And uh, wow. R- Rick Irwin, the creative director of City Museums, also in studio. And Rick, uh, you have a bunch of these world's <laughs> largest uh, already in the uh, the the museum. Tell us. Yeah, the museum had an, a you know a complex. You know, we needed to own the best and biggest of everything, and that was Bob Castley. So yeah. we did uh, through what's what's the man's name, John? Shreeda Furman. He holds the most records. He holds the Guinness World Record for holding the most Guinness World Records. He has been a very fine benefactor of City Museum. He's given us the world's largest pencil, mm. the world's largest tennis racket, and the world's largest seesaw. The seesaw we've never put together because it was so big that even Bob Cassidy was like, this might have some liability. <laughs> well, yeah. <this> is, how, <laughs> right. how do you use the world's largest pencil? Uh, just like normally anything else. It's got lead all the way through. It's got an eraser. We can take you know any piece of paper and write how with it. How big is this sucker? 76 feet long, 21,000 pounds, I believe. Well, I'm not. I mean, you're not going to sign your name with that thing, are you? Well, no, we, we suggest you move the paper instead of the yeah. pencil. <laughs> oh. Yeah, no, it's much easier that way. Well, there you go. Are, are we going to break any records while you're in town, John? Um, you know, yes. Um, so there, there will be some certificate unveilings very soon, and there's an undetermined, I'll say at this point, attempt coming very soon at City Museum that we're going to need a lot of help with. So folks from St. Louis are going to have to come to City Museum and participate in this activity and have the chance to get one of those cool certificates for themselves. Now, is this this determined by the volume of people involved to get to the record? It is. Uh Uh-huh. So that means uh, if people don't show up, we're not going to set the record. I'm confident St. Louis is going to show up at City Museum well, yeah. to break this record. Uh, how many people are we okay, Are we unveiling how many people, or we can't talk about that? It's, it's in the low hundred, few hundred. Oh, well, it's a piece of cake. You'll <laughs> so do vert- that on Sunday. It's a unique challenge, shall we say. You're not just showing up as plain old you. And, and Rick, I mean, the City Museum is one of those special places in St. Louis, and uh, when people come to town, you say, hey, go to the city museum. And they're like, oh, yeah, what is it, paints or paintings? And you're like, I don't even know how to explain it to you. How do you explain it? Yeah, how do uh, you explain what the city museum is? Well, luckily, this exhibit makes it a little easier. You know, you can talk about it. But, you know, it's just an immersive play. I mean, it's the world's largest playground is what we'll call it. You know, Monstro City, the caves on the inside. You can't. You, I end up pulling on my phone and trying to show pictures. And then you're 30 minutes on a, one photo and stuff. It's just the most difficult place. But it's. Very interactive, and I think it, it fits right in with what's going on with the uh, exhibit. I mean, we've been trying to push our boundaries forever and play and stuff, and that's what these individuals are doing with their records. Yeah. How old? Uh, what's Is there an ideal age for kids to be introduced to the City Museum? So, I, you know, I ran the City Museum for 15 years. I would have said somewhere in, like, third, fourth grade. Okay. You know? But my wife brought me to City Museum for our first date before I ever worked there, and I was 27 at the time. Remember, we have four bars. So, I mean, it's for everybody in the family. Wow. You got four bars? Are we going to set any world's records with the bars? Um, you know, Guinness World Records no longer recognizes categories based around alcohol, oh. just for a safety thing. So, Even though it's called Guinness. <laughs> so, here we go. You want to know that story? Uh, yeah. 1951, Sir Hugh Beaver is on a hunt with some friends, and they start arguing about the fastest game bird because they're having no luck shooting the game birds. Sir Hugh insists it's the golden plover. His friend says, no, it's the grouse. Sir Hugh surmises these types of arguments must happen all the time. Why isn't there a book that lists all this? A couple years later, he hires a couple famous brothers from London, and they compile this book of records. Sir Hugh is the chairman of the Guinness Brewing Company. There you have it. They put the book in a waterproof cover, give it to the pubs that sell British beer. I'm sorry, that sell Guinness beer. Um, It's so popular that the next year they start publishing it for general public, and that's the Guinness 
Guinness World Records book, we now call it, wow. since 1955. Wow, that's really clever. I had never heard that story. And now Ripley's, believe it or not, is associated with Guinness Book of World Records. Explain how that happened. Yeah, so the beer is no longer associated with the book. They, they sold that off many years ago. But uh, uh, Ripley Entertainment and Guinness World Records are sister companies. We have the same same owner up in Canada kind of thing. So Guinness World Records, you think more about the book and TV shows and digital. And then on the Ripley side, we do the physical exhibits. That's amazing. So... If I came and say I, I bring the kids in to the city museum, how long will can I? I mean, how long will they be occupied and you know enjoying themselves? Are we talking hours? Oh, definitely hours. Just in city museum alone, you'll do three to four hours. And with this exhibit, what's the dwell time on that? Well, you know, I like to say in city museum, it just depends on how long you can hide from the kids. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> so, easy to do there, huh? So, uh, yeah, the, the typical exhibit uh, time is about an hour, hour and fifteen minutes just for this new exhibit. You guys were already at three plus, and and now we just added on another hour, so it's pretty good value. Oh, by the way, it's included with the emission. Exactly. So it's great. So I've been to City Museum. I've climbed through the tunnels and all that stuff, uh, Rick. Uh, yeah. Did you ever lose a kid there? Yeah, we just put him to work. Yeah, you just, I mean, you just, you just find him the next day, and you're like, look, you're now an employee. Here's your number. A new version of Night start. at the Museum, if exactly. you will, huh? And we do do overnights. We're going to start those again fairly soon. Those it, are is this is this the kind of exhibit uh, that you've brought here? This is the first time you've had one of these, right? Yeah, and, correct. Uh, is this the kind of exhibit that is might enthuse a young person to just grow passionate about science? You know, it's funny because Guinness World Records, when we think of it, we think about the book or maybe some of the crazy videos we see, but it, but it's really about people. We believe everybody in the world can be the best at something. Let's find out what that is for you. Let's make it official according to our strict criteria, and let's celebrate your success. So the 12-year-old kid who holds the cup stacking record, he's just as important to us as Usain Bolt, the fastest man let in the me, world. Uh, let me ask you this uh, question, hypothetically. Is there a Guinness Book of World's Record record for the fastest piano playing? I believe there is. Hmm. So I know there's one for like two keys, but I'm, I'm assuming there's probably some playing some song. But if you know someone, we're happy to look that up. Yeah, so you. if you were to concoct some, some scenario like you wanted to be the fastest piano player, how does one propose that to, to you all? You uh, GuinnessWorldRecords.com, <laughs> click on set a record. So if it's an existing category, you just apply. They tell you what evidence is required. You know, something like that would obviously require video at a certain resolution where it could be slowed down and so forth. If you'd like to make a new category, there's the substantial charge of $5. <laughs> and mostly that just keeps the riffraff out from sending in ridiculous <laughs> categories that we then have to go make guidelines for. Oh, we can great. all be record setters in our own ways. Ladies and gentlemen, the exhibit starts this Sunday at City Museum. They're going to be setting world records there. You could be part of it. Uh, and Go enjoy yourselves and have a great time. Gentlemen, thanks so much for coming in and sharing that with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Delighted to have you. It's Michael Kelly and John Hancock on The Voice of St. Louis. The news at the bottom of the hour is next, and we'll see you around the corner on KMOX. Last Sunday, the Chiefs played the Bills. They give it off to Pacheco, slamming on the left side, angling into the end zone, touchdown, Kansas City! Now, it's the Chiefs and Ravens in the AFC Championship game this Sunday. Pre-game at 1, kickoff 1.30, and you can hear the game on your home for Chiefs football. KMOX. Well, hello there. It's Hancock and Kelly. Uh, we'll be here till 10 o'clock. Then we're going to get joined by Amy and Chris. We'll visit with them about uh, what's going on. Probably talk a little politics, you cut up a know, little Michael. bit. You never know. Don't forget, you can see Sunday in the morning, Hancock and Kelly, the television show at 8.30. As, uh, we'll talk about all the border stuff. And, John, one of the topics we have to talk about, they just did a whole segment there on the news right before us 
about the circus in Jefferson City that's going on, and that's really this, what, Freedom Caucus um, slash traditional Republicans, can't agree on anything, doesn't look like much is going to happen in the legislature as a Democrat uh, in a state where I am a minority uh, in terms of my political thought process and, and, and legislating. I like that y'all are fighting with each other and nothing's going to get done. Well, they are fighting, and, and what they're fighting over is initiative petition reform. So right now, uh, under the state constitution, there's a process that citizens can engage in to change, amend, add to uh, the state constitution. And that process requires the gathering of signatures, and it's thousands and thousands and thousands of signatures uh, in every congressional district or two-thirds of the congressional districts in the state of Missouri. Those signatures get turned in. They get counted by the local election authority. They get submitted up to the secretary of state. And if they qualify, that proposition is placed on the ballot as an amendment to our Constitution. And it requires a 50% plus one majority vote to add that to the Constitution. So what the debate is about in Jefferson City is whether you're going to alter that process in some way, require more signatures, for example, or require a higher threshold to amend the Constitution. And there's a significant number of Republicans that believe it should be more difficult to change the state Constitution, and they point to how difficult it is to change the U.S. Constitution, where you've got to get two-thirds of the votes in the House and the Senate, and then three-fourths of the states have to then ratify that constitutional amendment change. And you know what? You can make a very persuasive argument that that is a le- – well, I, it is a legitimate issue debate to have. It's not a wacky idea in any way. And But I, it seems to me that there's a better way to go about achieving that objective than blowing up the, the state senate, which is effectively where things are right now. And if and if that persists through from now through the middle of May, the end of session, then nothing's going to get done on this issue and probably anything else. Yeah, and from like from a Democratic perspective, I think that's good. Probably from a business perspective, it's well is good as well because most of the legislation that's being introduced uh, right now in Jefferson City, because it's an election year, John is uh, is window dressing legislation, stuff that's meant to feed the base of the people that you're trying to get to vote for you. I'm talking about the transgender bills. I mean, we passed a bunch of transgender bills last year, and guess what? We got to come back with more this year. Why? Because it gets attention for Republicans. Uh, so the good thing is probably none of that's going to go anywhere. Uh, but if there's a major opportunity to bring business to, say, to the state of Missouri, I don't know, uh, potentially legalized sports betting, uh, the, those things are going to be tabled. Nothing's really going to get done in this legislative session. And, you know, what's great and I love is, and, and you're going to hear a lot of rhetoric from your side of the aisle, John, we're fighting back the liberals and these woke policies that are coming to Missouri. Remember, the Democrats don't even matter in Missouri. And if you're upset about woke policies and things not getting done in the state of Missouri, the Democrats are not who you should be upset with. It's the Republican Party. Yeah, I mean it's uh, they they've had a they have a difficult time getting along over there in Jefferson City, and you know and I, I hate to lose sight of the fact that this is a genuine, legitimate debate about should the standard to amend the state constitution be a higher standard than a simple majority vote, and uh, you know well, I, that's a, that's a conversation that ought to take place. It's an important conversation because there are things the marijuana 
initiative that passed. Takes up about 20% of the state constitution. Does marijuana belong in the state constitution? Yeah, but here's what it comes down to, John. Why is that stuff happening? Because people are upset that the legislature is not passing the bills that they would like. Now, you talked about a comparison with the federal government. This seems awfully similar to what we're witnessing uh, in Washington, D.C., where there's a constituency that threw out Kevin McCarthy who doesn't want to compromise. They believe that if they don't get 100% of the pie— they shouldn't. There should be no pie at all, uh, you know. And so when and the the border negotiations, probably not everything the one the Republicans want, but maybe it has 85 percent of it. That, from my perspective, is a step in the right direction. Sure. From a, a, a freedom caucus or a MAGA caucus, that is blasphemy. Because if we're not going to get our way, then we don't want to do anything. That's it, what we're watching. Well, and that and that's uh, that's a sure recipe to uh, cause an institution to fail. And I hope, I hope my friends in the Missouri State Senate can get it together and work together. I mean, they've got more than enough votes to do a whole lot of things if they would be willing to sit down and work together. But the other complicating factor in all of this, of course, is the politics of it. Because in this era of term limits, you've got a number of these state senators, multiple number of them, are running for statewide office. In some cases, they're running against other members of the state Senate for the same statewide office seat. So you've got not just the not just the policy rancor that exists there. There's a tremendous amount of political rancor in that chamber as well. And none of it is helpful. If, if you're interested in seeing public policy change, none of this is helpful. Hey, before we go and interview these two young, uh, we, we're going to interview one of the baristas that was working at a Starbucks on South Grand, where uh, some folks came in to rob it. Yeah. And they wound up, uh, you know, taking out the robbers. They and guess them. what? They lost their job as a result of it. We're going to yeah, actually interview one of those folks who lost their job. But before we do that, John, big football weekend. Can't wait. We are the home of the Kansas City Chiefs. We are. Right here uh, at, at KMOX, they are playing on Sunday against the Baltimore Ravens with arguably the best player in the NFL uh, as their quarterback, the Baltimore Ravens. Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson. I am rooting for the Chiefs, but believe the Ravens will win this game. That's what the say early you? Game. That's the early game on Sunday. Yeah, what say you? <clears throat> well, I think the Ravens win. And, uh, you know, and don't overlook the Ravens' defense either. They. Uh, they're formidable, and there's a reason why they're the number one seed. And I, I think Baltimore wins that game. Then you got the later game. I think it starts at five thirty Central Time. The Detroit Lions going uh, traveling over to uh, San Francisco on the right. Bay, taking on the Forty ers And the four uh, the the Lions have kind of become everybody's uh, America's team, right? The lovable losers. They haven't been there in thirty, forty years. They've made it to the playoffs. They're moving forward. Detroit's been down on its luck Never for a decade a or two. Never been to a Super Bowl. Um, and they're hoping to get to the Super Bowl. I got to tell you, they're going to run into probably one of the best players in the NFL in McCafferty, the running back. He's going to be too much for the Lions to handle, isn't he? Well, who knows? Debo Samuels got hurt last week. We don't know if he's going to be playing for the 49ers. I tell you, man, there's something about this Lions team. Uh, they're not the most polished. Their offensive line is tremendous, and uh, you know, and the defense would be a concern. I mean, there's a reason why the 49ers are favored to win. I'm going to go out and predict an upset here, though. 
Yeah. I think the Detroit Lions, by four points, are going to defeat the San Francisco 49ers, and it will be the Lions and the Ravens in Super Bowl 58. That's what I'm calling. That is John Hancock. I'm Michael Kelly. We're going to step aside. We're going to talk to the barista who lost his job for throwing the for throwing the robbers out of the store. Unbelievable. Wait till you hear this story after this on KMOX. Rich Horris hosts the King of OX Home Improvement Show, presented by Mosby Building Arts, Saturday at 11 on The Voice of St. Louis, King of OX. So, reading the newspaper like everybody else the other day, and... Uh, there you are, just minding your own business, Mike. Stumble upon this story Here about Starbucks firing two baristas who mm. collared robbers on South Grand. This happened on Sunday, December the 17th. Let's see if we can paint a picture. Two robbers walked into a, a, a Starbucks. One of them from Potosi, Missouri. Right, and apparently they had some guns. Uh, there's some questions as to whether or not they were real guns or fake guns. Yeah. And... Um, they tried to hold the place they up. They wanted everybody to get on the floor. Get on the Which, floor. Unfortunately, in most of the Starbucks, the floors are pretty clean. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, what happens is is a couple of the baristas, probably feeling for freeing. Uh, fearing for their lives, Michael. Life and safety. And, they, and, and, they, and the one bartender was accosted by the would-be criminal. Exactly. And guess what happened to him after they, that, that all the gets done? The barista knocked the tar out of the guy. Right. And they, they, and they get arrested. And they apprehended him. They caught him. His buddy fled. Right. And he got caught later. Both of them are now facing over 20 felony counts, which is a good thing. And so you're thinking, boy, they're probably given Heroes. medals of commendation. Heroes. Coffee for life. Uh, it's Starbucks. No, guess what? They got the boot out the door. The employees got fired. We were going to visit with Michael Harris. Uh, he got held up. <laughs> so to speak. He's not here with us, uh, unfortunately. But we're very fortunate. But we're glad to have his attorney, Tom Topping, in studio. Tom. Uh, Did we get that right? The basic... Is that pretty much the story? As far as we know at this at this juncture, yes, right. that's, the, that's the basic outline. So these guys, like, were they fired that day? Like, uh, the manager said, uh, hey, great job. Uh, the cops are going to take these guys away, and you can take your pink slip. Uh, significantly no, as a matter of fact. Uh, so it's our understanding that um, uh, Mr. Harris was uh, put on leave uh, for approximately a month. Okay. Um, and Reasonable. As, that's a traumatic situation. And as my... Um, as my colleague Ryan Krupp pointed out, um, this was a, initially hailed in the news as uh, Starbucks baristas fight back and um, Starbucks' logos all over. Save the day. Save the day. And then as soon as that media narrative died out, then they were summarily dismissed. Wow. And I guess the company is citing a, what, a de-escalation policy that they have in place? So interestingly enough, uh, no, that was not what they said to my client. At least that's what we believe my client was told when he was fired. However, later, as as media traction has um, uh, gone forth, uh, that is the uh, the, the line they're, they're uh they're taking now. Well, Michael would know whether he was given the training that said if you get robbed here in South Grand, which, by the way, Probably a good idea to prepare for that. Uh, you know, if you get robbed here on South Grand, uh, you know, don't uh, take any action. It, but if he didn't receive that training, then does that does that direction even exist? Can't really speak to that at, yeah. at this juncture. Uh, but I will say, um, it's a it's a it it strikes a tin ear uh, to suggest to somebody that they have to uh, willingly allow themselves to be executed after being pistol whipped. Yeah, or uh, beaten. Right. Beaten, uh, At what, best case scenario, allow yourself to get beaten. 
and as we, as we uh, we believe at any rate, as um, as he's 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 attempting to comply with the demands of the of the robbers, um, he's pistol whipped, um, and uh, at that point, I mean, all bets are off. So so what's up now? Well, obviously, he has an attorney. Um, yeah. I think we're expecting some type of uh, legal action. He has a whole team of attorneys at this juncture, um, but uh, that's uh, that's our intent at this at, at this point. We're exploring all of his legal options at at, uh, at this time. Is is the is the hope to to get it reinstated as an employee or some comp- comp- compensatory compensation? Uh, every legal avenue at this juncture is is uh, is available to him right now. Um, we don't really know quite yet what now, we're. I would think if I'm working there at the Starbucks, yeah, whipping uh, up the lattes. Yeah, you got yeah. so. The one thing you got is Starbucks. Uh-huh. If, if you're running a good Starbucks. Some hot coffee. You got hot coffee. <laughs> hey, now. And you got a guy trying to rob you right there. Uh-huh. Uh, somebody should have thrown some hot coffee on the guy. Yeah, then you didn't assault him. You just tripped and spilled. <laughs> but Michael you know, Harris, man, he I saw the mugshot. This poor guy from Potosi who's now got 20 felony counts against him. Uh, he had a bad day. Yeah, uh, and he deserves South it. Grade. He yeah, deserved it. It every... looks like the blood's coming down his head. Yeah. It looks like these two baristas. I mean, I, I want to give him a job as bouncers. Guy, I mean, what the guy, heck? of course, at the black and white photo. He looks like Rudy Giuliani at that press conference. With all the stuff running down his face. Yeah, could you imagine? I mean, this. I mean, these guys. They they took it to them, and uh, maybe they'll get a, for an them, offer from the W. You know, I actually. Uh, you know, obviously the the lawyer was kind enough to come join us, and Tom, we we appreciate you. So this is the. But the the reality here, John, is I kind of understand the de-escalation policy. But I don't know that it actually works in process, right? I mean, here you are getting pistol whipped, and, and you're not supposed to act back. I mean. I gotta tell you, man. Some guy hits me with a pistol. I, I'm going back at him, and uh, I I don't know that this is necessarily the smartest PR move for Starbucks. Well, now you're onto something. And yeah, uh, they, I think we look, ought to stay on top they of don't this. Look too good. So it's Michael Harris and Devin Jones Ransom are the two employees that have been uh, relieved of their barista duties. They won't be they won't be mixing up the lattes any longer. But uh, they are fortunate to have Tom Topping on the case. He's a local attorney here with the Krupp Law Firm. Krupp Law Firm, and uh, they'll be filing suit. We're going to keep an eye on this story as things progress. Have you uh, have you done a lot of employee discrimination, or I don't know how you would term this thing? Wrongful but, termination. Wrongful termination suits. Is that yeah? Well, I personally have not. Um, I, I mainly practice criminal defense, um, but. Uh, uh, my firm uh, does quite a bit of uh, plaintiff's work, so we're 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 well versed in um, any and all tort actions in the state of Missouri. So I think the old Seattle guys who uh, charge you seven bucks for your cup of Joe in the morning may be uh, seeing a lawsuit that's going to ask them for more than seven bucks. Well, you never know, Michael. And uh, I want to thank Tom Topping for coming. Best of luck. Uh, keep us in the loop on this thing because I'm I'm interested to see how this all plays out. Thanks, guys. You bet. Well, well, Michael, that's going to do it. Buddy, we had a good day today. So yeah. just to remind everybody, if you want to go back, you can go to the Odyssey app and listen to us. Um, you can go back and hear. We visited with uh, George Roman about the the life of Tom Gunn and the incredible impact he made St. on yeah. St. Louis. We visited with a household name here in St. Louis, Paul McKee, uh, who's uh, opened up a hospital on the near north side. And guess what? Controversy just seems to follow this guy. Even when the good stuff happens, I don't get it. Yeah, that's a lot. Uh, we this, we covered some we covered some ground. Today, we went to Ripley's, believe it or not, we buddy, did. and uh, they're going to be over there at the City Museum, City where you World can check Records. out the Guinness Book of World Records, and then uh, 
who can forget the baristas that we just visited with here? The barista was supposed to be with us, but he got held up. Yeah, How about happened. me using a dad joke? Yeah, was, uh, uh, I was trying to be like you. It was almost funny the first time you told it, and then you kind of killed it there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you kind of tell the same joke over <laughs> and over. Because, uh, Kelly, I, uh, I don't like to talk. <laughs> hey, He's Michael Kelly. You I'm think John they're here? Hancock. Huh? You think they're here? Amy you think we're going to spend time with the them? House. It's a it's a Chris and Amy show coming up right next. Uh, whatever I'm trying to say. Want to thank Frank Ladd for masterfully producing this program this morning, and of course James O'Sullivan providing his great dexterity behind the uh, what do you call that thing? A board? That's the board. I call that thing. It's Chris and Amy next on Camel X.